So uh, we're going to continue our, our, our talk on 2 Corinthians. Last week, uh, we talked about some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, it, was, um, it, was, it was very real, which I think is uh, important. Um, Chris brought up some, some real-life issues in the world today, not things that are more generic like, oh, people are hurting and they need clean water. It was immediate needs that are going on right now in the world. Um, which can, you know, be looked at as controversial, but I, I think what really we should look at them is, like he said, it's not about politics, it's about justice. There are people who are suffering in the world and need help. Um, now, all that to be said, these are things, when you break them down, that break God's heart. So when you look at these things, like the people who are, you know, on the border or uh, uh, the people in Puerto Rico who don't have clean water or electricity, Things like that that are happening, those things break God's heart, which is the long and short of it. Now, we all, we all don't have access to funds or resources or uh, uh, abilities to leave the country or to leave the state or to go and do these things, and that's fine. But if you do, great, go. If you can, go. Right? If someone comes, approaches you and says, hi, I want to take you down to Puerto Rico and go bring a water filter, a friend of mine did, then go. You're, you can go. But more than that, when we're talking about ambassadorship and we're talking about following the steps of the king, right? This is God's break, breaks God's heart, so God is going to direct us to do these things and go and help these things. It's not about these, it's not reserved for these incredible situations. It is something that is daily. Now, the best way that I can say it is if you see a need and you have the ability to meet it, then meet it. And this is not something that has, again, this is not a, a, oh, wow, I've been watching the news and there's this tragedy going on. Oh, I can't do anything about that. Oh, well, I'm not going to do anything. What it means is if you're walking down the street and you see a guy who's like, has a sign that says, I'm hungry, give me money, and you can buy that guy lunch, do it. Just do it. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Just do it. If you see a need, you can meet it then meet it. I remember one time I was driving down the freeway, I saw a guy at a sign that said, I'm homeless and hungry, please help. And people are handing this guy a dollar or change, and I'm like, that's not helping him. For two reasons. One, this guy now has to wait for all this money to accumulate so he can go buy food, but likely what he's going to do is he's not going to buy food. He's going to buy booze or he's going to buy drugs, which is not an every time thing, but it is a most of the time thing. So I was on my way to get food. So I got food, and I bought food for him too. I turned around, got back on the freeway, went the other way on the freeway, and met him at the intersection he was at, and I handed him a bag of food. And I said, here, man. And he's like, you're the first person I've ever met. He said, homeless and hungry, not homeless and poor. This guy was hungry, and nobody was feeding him. That blows my mind. What bothers me the most about situations like that is they are inconvenient. They're super inconvenient. I can tell you how many times that situation has walked up to me. I made a bomb lunch before. I'm like, I'm saving money. I'm going to make a lunch. And I see a guy on the side of the road who needs some food, and I gave him my lunch. And I'm like, this sucks. Now I don't have lunch. We're going to talk about that. It's super inconvenient. But if you see a need and you can do something about it, just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. Because what is... God trusts you with little, he'll trust you with much. And so the little that you think you have is more than most people have. 
So God will give what you give. So let's continue what we're, what we're you know, the book of 2 Corinthians. So we, we, we ended chapter 5 last week, and so we're going to start chapter 6 this week. And we're going to go through verses 1 to 10. So verses 1 and 2 say this. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in, in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. This is a clear continuation of what Paul was talking about as ambassadors. This is a very clear, he's, he's, he's continuing that thread as he says, but he, he changes it a little bit. Instead of an ambassador, as we talked about uh, last week, the ambassador follows the steps of the king. Right? The king relays orders, and you do them. Right? Jesus said, go into the world, and um, as you're going, tell people about the gospel. And so we do. This is what we do, right? What we're told to do, and so, so we do. But this is a little bit different because he's talking about co-workers, right? We are working in lockstep with God. It's not so much about you do, here you go. And this really, for me, shifts, shifts the understanding of what it looks like to lead. Because God is the leader. He's not sitting on a perch somewhere directing. He's doing it with you. We are not alone as we work in the world, as we work for God. So, um, here's Paul changing it up a bit, like I said, with co-workers. Yeah, we work with God, but we also work for him. And it's all about his goals. It's all about what he wants us to do. So, he then references, and you can see this is quoted, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And then Paul says himself, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. This is a reference back to the book of Isaiah, where God is talking to the Jews as they leave Babylon, right, a place where they have been exiled out of Jerusalem. Um, and he, he's telling them, hey, there's going to be a time where I hear you. In the time, not right now, in the time, and in the day. He's talking about a future time. And what Paul is saying, much like Jesus, is that salvation is available now to anyone. Not that it's coming at a future date, that it's here and now. Jesus said many times throughout his gospel that the kingdom is now. The kingdom is available to you now, which is a radical statement. It's a very radical statement to say that the kingdom is available now because the teachers, all the Pharisees were saying, well, there's going to be a time. And Jesus is saying, well, that time is now and everyone has access to it. And so Paul, again, is reiterating that point. Verse 3 and 4, he says this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. No stumbling blocks, commendation. So those are the two major points of this this little section here. It can be easily misunderstood that when they say that there's no stumbling blocks, that what he's saying is we don't want to offend anyone, we're not going to turn anyone away because of a certain uh, a thing they might do or whatever, right? Like it, to say that someone walks in the door and they're like, I'm a heroin dealer. They're going to be like, oh, good for you, man. I'm not turning you away. What he's saying is we are consistent. Our message does not change. Our message is for all. But there are things that are sticking points for some people. And that is where people fall. And so what, what, he's, what, he's kind of, what he's pretty blatantly actually getting at is there are teachers of this day who are going around and they're charging people for salvation. And they're, they're doing this all over, all over the region, all over the world, in a bunch of different countries. And they are looking at these teachers going, oh, well, maybe they're right. But they're not consistent. Their teaching is constantly changing. And what he's saying is we are consistent. 
We are following the truth of the word of God. And you won't be able to discredit his ministry, but that's what a lot of people in Corinth at the time wanted to do because they were a little bit different. Commendation in every way. Commendation is like a, a place of honor. If you're at work and you get employee of the month, that's a commendation. Right? Good for you. You made it. If you're in the military and you get a medal, that's a commendation. You got something that's awesome. Good for you. What this is saying, though, right, he's not, he's not saying I'm walking, we're always walking around and patting ourselves on the back. Look at how awesome we are. Look at all these churches we planted. What he's saying is we are constantly checking ourselves, right? Me and Silas and Timothy and Peter, we're, we're constantly checking ourselves because we want to make sure that, one, what we're saying cannot be discredited. And two, that we are still doing this in line with God. Remember, he's still talking about being an ambassador and being a co-worker. So he's, he's saying we check ourselves constantly. But he sees the value in his message, and he knows it's infallible, but he knows also that he is fallible because he's human. So he constantly has to check himself because he's, preaching this message that is good, that is the truth, but he doesn't want to lead people astray because he knows he's human. He knows as a human, he could fail. He could stumble. He could fall, right? It would be very easy for Paul to be stranded on an island and think, this is the end, which happened that way. But instead of saying this is the end, he said, we need to trust God. This is a hard situation, but we need to trust God. Paul goes on from here to establish the ways in which he commend, uh, commends himself and his ministry. This is something, too, that I, I didn't say. So his commendations are not about him. Right? What he's doing has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with his ministry. He's not concerned with how he is perceived. Because clearly, the people of Corinth at this time are very upset at him. Also, the Romans are very upset at him. But he doesn't really care how people look at him. He's more concerned with how his message is received. I don't care if you hate me, but if you hear what I'm saying and you accept the truth, that's all that matters. Right, Paul even says at one point in, his, in one of his letters that he's a bad speaker. He's like, I know you don't like that I'm speaking and I'm short and I'm this and I'm that, but please hear me. But it's not about him, it's about his message. So there's really three sections of his commendations, and the first is what he endures. It says, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. That's a synonym. Trouble, hardship, distress, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. Not only has Paul and those with him lived these hardships, they were willing to live these hardships for the gospel, for the sake of the good news of salvation. When I, first, uh, when I first started coming around to the idea of, of Christianity, something really caught my attention. I was reading this book. I can't remember what the book was called. But I was reading this book, and they were talking about the, 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 the apostles and the disciples. And how all but two were martyred. And the interesting thing about that is they, were all, they all did it willingly. And what I mean by that is not they walked into a Roman prison and said, hey, please kill me for the faith. What I mean is... They were captured, arrested, tried, and then killed. What's interesting, though, is that they all had a chance to refute their faith, or rather rebuke their faith, and go free. Right? 
All you have to do is renounce Jesus, and you can go. We're not going to kill you. But they didn't. They chose death because they know they knew that this was the truth. Interestingly, I think one of the ones I find most fascinating is that Peter was crucified. But Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. Which I find really funny because you have the people who are like atheists or like anti-Christian and they wear like upside down crosses which I'm like you know that's like a symbol of honor that was that whole that whole thing came out of a symbol of, of Peter not feeling worthy enough to die like Jesus it was it was kind of like a I respect him too much to die like him and so I flip it upside down so I look at that and I kind of laugh and go you don't really know what you're wearing I'd wear one of those too because it's pretty I mean the cojones on Peter I mean come on but they were willing to die they knew that this was a truth that was worth dying for. I cannot, and, and that's something I, I, I would argue, is not that they were, it's not just that they were willing to die, I, I think that they, they couldn't refute Jesus. I think it's something that, I don't, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I have found that I, I, I just, I just can't. Like someone says, okay, I need you to say this. I, I can't, I can't say that. I can't in good conscience say that. And I think that was what it was for the disciples. I know this is a truth. I know Jesus was alive. I know that he taught these incredible things. I saw him heal people. I know he died. You know he died. And I know for a fact that he was risen from the dead. Okay, well, I need you to say that that's not true. I, I can't. All right, well, then you're going to die. Okay. I don't know what you want me to say. It was a willingness to die for a truth. And that is something that is huge. We need to be willing, not just able, to sacrifice for the gospel, to serve for the gospel. Everyone is able to give five bucks, but are you willing? Are you willing to feed that guy? How many of us see every day someone in need of something? Not just food, just something. We're pretty much all able. Time might be a constraint, but other than time, we're pretty much all able. But are you willing? Paul and the disciples, and this is something I find really interesting as well, they didn't wait for the chance to share the gospel. They actively sought it out. They actively looked for the chance to tell people the truth of this gospel, this risen king. And then Paul continues in his second section with traits um, to commend his ministry. He says, in purity and understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God. These are pretty major. Most of these traits, I'm sure, at one point in our lives, we have all fulfilled. When I think of purity, I think of a child. Understanding, a parent or an adult. Kindness, a friend. But then it gets into waters that are kind of harder for us to control, harder for us to get into. The Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible says that when we accept the Lord, that the Holy Spirit then is imbued into us and we live with, through Christ as his ambassador. Okay. Sincere love. Well, sincerity is subjective. What is sincere to you might not be sincere to me or so on and so forth. But... The Greek word here means without hypocrisy. Sincerity is without hypocrisy. So, love that doesn't contradict. 
and their contacts all, all meant not just the Jews. I mean, Gentiles. For us, it looks more like all people. So when we live in sincere love and in truthful speech and in the power of God, it is for all people. Truthful speech would be a metric for the truth, what they teach, how they teach. Truth is funny because it's not subjective. Truth is truth. Fact is fact. There's no getting around that. I have a flip that represents this pretty well. his fact. That was your pen. If you've seen the movie, he then writes it all over his face. You're a goof. If your pen is blue, then say that it's blue. Tell the, tell the world about it. If Jesus Christ is alive, tell the world. Lastly, most importantly, Paul measures his ministry on the power of God. What does God's power and movement look like in his ministry? And is he following are you following? A simple way to find out is by asking yourself, is it pure? Is it patient? Is it kind? And is it driven by the Holy Spirit in sincere love? So something that you have to ask yourself is, does your ministry look like God's ministry or does it look like yours? This is something that I think is really pivotal because this is the question that made me say yes to Uncommon Church. I've told the story before, but I'll briefly tell it again. When we started the church, we had a whole lot of plans. And Chris and I would argue back and forth about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and how we wanted to implement things and blah, 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 blah. And one day we had a really big fight, and I was like, I'm done, dude. I can't talk to you. I, I need, like, a few days away. So I, I disconnected. We didn't talk for close to a week. And in that week, I was kind of praying, and God put a pretty very clear message on my heart was, is this a me thing or is this a you Rather, it was how much of this is me and how much of this is you, which was really hard for me to take because I thought what we were doing was awesome. And so I called Chris and I told him that. And he was like, that's a good thing. And so what, what that question did for us was it realigned our focus to look upwards instead of inwards. Lastly, Paul ends with weapons that he uses to accomplish this. He says, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. When he says righteousness in the right hand and the left, what he's saying essentially is in the good and in the bad says, glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine but imposter, known but unknown, dying, lived, beaten, not killed.
poor, the sorrowful, the happy, poor but making rich, nothing but having everything. Last point. No matter what, rejoice. I love how he ends it. He says, having nothing yet possessing everything. I think think that later on James hits it. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, testing of your faith, creates endurance, and then be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's something that I live my life by. That really, that verse, those two verses rather, are really what pulled me into Christianity. Because it also kind of ties into, don't, don't worry about it. Life is hard. But God's got you. No matter what, Rejoice. If you've been here for um, our, our, our prayer before service, you've, you've heard, most of you have, you've heard me say, thank you, God, for the hardships. Because it is through hardships that we grow. And it's through trials that we learn and we're able to overcome. If we lived in a bubble our whole lives, we would never, be, we would never change, we would never grow, and when we faced hard situations, we wouldn't grow. No matter what, rejoice. There's a great um, documentary about these guys who are climbing Everest. And it's, I mean, it's brutal. Like, you get to a certain point on that mountain, and it is like life or death. And this guy is sitting in his tent, and the wind is howling, and it's dark, and it's cold. And he's all bundled up in, in his, you know, his, his gear. And he's, you know, doing a little interview with, that does it only with camera. And he's talking about, like, well, today was rough. I lost a pole snow started coming down, the wind is going like 80 miles, or the, you know, the, the snow started coming down and it wasn't supposed to. Um, we're a day behind now, but at least it's windy. And that's how he ended his, his interview. In the worst situation ever, he made a joke. You could literally die. There is a hill on Everest that's called Rainbow Hill because people die on Mount Everest and they can't recover from it. And so it's all these ski jackets and stuff that just litter this hill. And they're just all these different colors, frozen bodies. You could literally die. It is a reality if you climb Everest. And yet in the face of death, this guy is finding joy. Now, I don't know if this guy was a believer or if he's a Christian or not. I don't know. But it is that attitude that James is talking about. Job should have taken joy in those circumstances. In the face of tragedy. So, this week, be willing, not disabled. We need to be willing to inconvenience ourselves. It is never at the right time when God calls you. God will never call you on your phone when you're sitting at home doing nothing. God will call you when, you're, when it's 2.30 in the middle of a Monday afternoon and payrolls due and you got to get this stuff in or it's your job. That's when God's going to call you, and you have to be ready. It is in the middle of a wedding. Um, it's your brother's wedding, and um, God's going to call you. Your phone's going to ring because you forgot to put it on silent. You have to be ready. It is the most inconvenient time, but it is when we are willing that we see God move. Also, you have to ask yourself, does, does your life, does your ministry, does your life ministry, does it look like God's or does it look like yours? Are you going around and 
helping people so that you can have the glory come? Hey, I'm so sorry. You know, I saw this guy on the side of the road, and he said he was hungry. And so I fed him, and, you know, I prayed for him. And uh, then I put him in a hotel room. You know, I don't have $10 in my bank account, but uh, at least he's here. You don't have to applaud for me. Or, sorry I'm late. You know, there was something I had to stop at. That's that. I helped, but I don't even get any glory. And lastly, no matter what, trust. God is good all the time. That was really good. God is good all the time. Even if your life is just in the toilet. And I'm talking, it's like a toilet after I've had a California burrito. It is gross. I'm trying to set the scene here. Your life, God is good all the time because. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. That's a rough, whoa. That's a rough toilet to be in. We have to look at these situations, Ben, you can come up. We got to look at these situations in life and go, you know what? Like, I got on myself. Every single day. I wake up every day and I go, thanks, God, I'm alive. And I ask God to, to direct me. Now, does that mean I always follow God every day? I mean, but I'm faithful. But like Paul, constantly checking himself, checking his ministry, making sure that as he's living his life, because this is his life, right? His ministry is not just something he does, it's what he lives. I'm not telling you to go travel the world and preach the gospel and, and to get arrested a whole bunch and be shipwrecked and driven by tourists and all this stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you. But what I am saying is go live your ministry. If you see a chance to help someone, do it. If you see a chance to share the gospel, do it. And it doesn't have to be, hey, sit down, let me, let me read to you. It could be, let me tell you what I believe, and you can make your own opinion from there. I have a lot of friends who uh, don't believe in, in God, and I'm constantly telling them about my church and about the people at my church. And when I say my church, I mean the church that I'm a part of. And uh, I don't hide my faith, but I'm also not shoving it down their throat. I want them to come to that decision on their own. That's not my ministry because that's awkward. That's inconvenient for me. It is inconvenient for me to go hang out with my friends and start talking about Jesus. I would rather just hang out with my friends. But I got to take my own advice. I need to be willing, not just able. I need to be willing to be inconvenienced. I need to rejoice in everything, and I need to make sure this is God's ministry, not just mine. So as you go about your week, look for those opportunities. Look for the chance to help someone out. Look for the chance to meet a need. And if you do it, you'll be more I have a motto, and I'll end with this. When I first started preaching, I, I everybody to be like, hey man, that's awesome. Oh man, you know what, you know, what you said tonight really, really reached me. And I 
that's just not a reality. There's going to be times where I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, and you guys are going to be like, that was really bad. That was a lot of incoherent mess there. But if I reach one person, I did my job. So every day you're able to touch one person. You can begin to share the gospel with people. You can help someone. You can care for someone. One person, you did your job. Father, thank you so much uh, for, for trials. Thank you so much for the, the chance to work with you. And God, the opportunity that um, we have and the knowledge that we have in your word to be able to check ourselves, to check the ministry that we're doing with you. God, I ask that you would um, guide us this week, God, that, that you would put inconvenient situations in all of our path this week. A chance for us to help someone else.